Rock Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec footwear and orthotics keeping you happy and on your feet. It is Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canuck Central just spoke with uh, Patrick Alvin. Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, from the Daily Faceoff Hockey Insider Frank Saravalli joins us every Monday. What's happening, Frank? Oh, just, you know, the best uh, playoffs in all of pro sports now underway and uh, get to sit back and relax and, and enjoy it. Yeah, so far, uh, early update, Carolina up one nothing on the New York Islanders. So a uh, large segment of this fan base either cheering on Bo Horvat or maybe cheering against Bo Horvat after the comments he made last week. Yeah, I would say more cheering against him, no? Yeah, it would seem that way, and he's probably getting ready for booze when he returns to Vancouver uh, next year, at least That's from all right. uh, some segment of the fan base. But, hey, it's... Everyone uh, needs a good villain. It's a sports entertainment business. Sometimes I think uh, we forget that when it comes to uh, the National Hockey League. Um before we get into some of the playoff stuff, uh, we just heard from Patrick Alvin today, spoke with the media, spoke exclusively with us here over the last 15 minutes or so. But um, it, it sounds from his perspective that the Canucks are going to have to do a lot of internal improvements, and they're not necessarily looking for big shakeups from the roster given their cap situation going into the summer. Yeah, I, I can... Uh understand that makes a lot of sense to me like when i heard it i was like okay like i i get it um you know saying he doesn't anticipate spending much money in general Mm -hmm. like there's there's money to carve out there's you know some improvement from within and i think some of the other parts of the last few days whether it was brock besser saying he doesn't really want to be traded or sort of some more insight into Patrick Alvin's thinking in terms of just how close he thinks the Canucks are. Um, it gives you a real window into their sort of mission and mandate for the summer, which is, you know, improve on the margins, make a few smart decisions and have a healthy Thatcher Demko play all season the way that he did, you know, once he came back from injury and the team is probably, you know, knocking on the door of of the playoffs. Now, the big question is, and this is not to steal uh, Thomas Drance's thunder, but like if if you're gonna, you know, have this conversation, I think the larger overarching question is, yeah, you may be a few points away from a playoff team, but when do you vault into the contender conversation like that's the real question that Canucks fans want answered I think yeah and I think part of the way of getting there obviously is is trying to make moves but you can't do that with the moves around the margins and, and I think generally he was cagey today and, and not trying to say too much and not promising things he can be held to later on that's that's kind of the, the gist I got from not only his media availability but you know what he said to us and what he didn't say to us especially when asked specific questions about players and situations so he came off as being super cagey but maybe a lot of it does come down to what happens with that draft pick this year and that's kind of a hope a bit plan right to see if you know maybe you get that uh, good pick to come in but outside of getting a high pick and winning the lottery maybe that big move in terms of having the space to sign a big free agent or making something significant happen maybe 12 months away yeah and that's that's all part of it too right like there there's probably gonna have to be an element of patience and i think sat like you're right on the money in that to me the biggest thing you know, was more sometimes in what he didn't say or sometimes the smiles that you got from him on some other questions and things that might not translate into like print or radio that if you were watching, you were saying, oh, I, you know, what's, what does he really think? What does he really mean? And that's going to, you know, parsing through part of that and trying to understand where his thought process is, I think is a huge part of what's going to happen this summer too. Frank, like, sir. Yep. The J, what I'm getting at is the JT Miller comments. Yeah, and he he leaves the door open. Uh, essentially, every <laughs> they put a player on, uh, or they put a price on every player, and there's a price on on JT Miller. And if somebody's willing to get to it, um, then then maybe we'll listen. And I guess that's kind of the story of what happened with Pittsburgh. They had a big ask, and Pittsburgh pondered it for a while. 
Yeah, now Pittsburgh's general manager has been fired into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's there goes that one, I think, for right now. Um, but maybe that's the moral of the story that every team should have is every player has a price. And if you're willing to hit it, like why even play the game of, oh, this guy's an untouchable or, you know, we'd never move this guy or uh, whatever the conversation may be like in talking to other general managers around the league that really had done some dealings with Vancouver or had conversations with Vancouver, you know, leading up to the deadline, the sense that they got was that Patrick Alvin was on a fact finding mission in terms of his entire roster that it, it more or less came down to, I don't really care what the nameplate is or who the player is we have a, a, a varying internal price list of what these players we think they're worth on our team and if you like a certain guy then come make us an offer and we'll see if you're within the ballpark or not and you know it was almost like everyone's available and and i mean and i don't mean everyone everyone i mean outside of you know Pedersen and probably hughes and demko maybe you could include Kuzmenko in that list or not, depending on who you are and what your assets are. But other than that, it was like, make us an offer. And if it's good, if it's in the realm of possibility, we're, we're ready to tango. Well, so I think the more, the more intriguing question then comes down to, is anybody actually going to meet the very high price Vancouver set, which allows them to go and get the player they're looking to get to begin with? I mean, we can sit here and say the Canucks are willing if the right offer comes along, but what's the likelihood of that right offer coming along? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. And right. it depends on how the Canucks might have to adjust on what the market bears. Like, you know, that's the one kind of thing that, is the push and pull that exists with any player that's on the market. Like think back to Jacob Chikrin. They had an extremely high price that they set. You know, they had held firm on that ask for so long until they got to 48 or 72 hours before the deadline and then had to fold like a cheap tent and a soft wind because no one was willing to pay that price. And so are you going to adjust or are you going to hold firm with unrealistic expectations? And I'm not saying the Canucks have them for anyone. I think when you think about JT Miller, like two first round picks to me sounds fair. Like that's what the ask was. And the P Pittsburgh Penguins were considering it. Uh, they didn't ultimately get there. And I think the bigger question for the Penguins wasn't, uh, are they willing to do it? The bigger thing was, does the general manager and president of hockey ops back then, did they have the green light to do it? That I think was the holdup. I don't think it was on Ron Hextall's end just for posterity's sake, not to relitigate this for the 19th time. <laughs> right. um, but that was really where it fell apart. It wasn't like, Hey, we're, you know, we're hemming and hauling on the price. So someone was willing to pay it then. I just think the Canucks have a real opportunity here this summer with a historically weak free agent class. First off, to Patrick Alvain's point, why would you want to spend money this summer? Yeah. And two, with players that you're considering or willing to move, this is the time to do it and try and cash in for a team that's really trying to make a statement. Yeah, and they're they're going to have some some wingers available, as we know, uh, the Brock Bessers, Connor Garlands of the world, and there there could be some action there. It's um, you know, it, what did you guys make of Brock's comments? Um, I, I've always kind of had a feeling that Brock wants to stay in Vancouver and the sense we got from players in general, we had a really good conversation with Ethan bear on the weekend was just how out of control uh, things got with Boudreaux around and the situation when everybody knew what was going to happen with Bruce Boudreaux and it just became a waiting game of when not if, and just how much, things kind of got out of control and the environment got out of control. And I think that's part of the reason Patrick wasn't willing to, you know, get, take any of the low ball offers they were maybe getting on JT or other players leading into the deadline is I think they all knew that once the environment changed, some guys were going to have a little bit more success. Well, yeah. I mean, I would think that's a given is like, that was one of the real, I think selling points for finally making the change and, and bringing in Rick Tockett, the part of it, it came at the expense likely of, of draft lottery positioning. 
but to turn the temperature down of what had been you know it was like it was like a tornado going through a trailer park like that's <laughs> that's that's the situation that the Canucks had built up uh you know between Bruce and between the ongoing I put in parentheses lack of negotiations with Bo Horvat. Yeah. Like it, it was ugly for a really long time. Every single day there was a new piece of drama that was unfolding. It was like a soap opera. And so to stabilize that and to put that in place, you know, moving forward, set some expectations for next year, allow some players to focus on hockey um, and, and really about turning their games around here is Here's the structure we want to play with. Here are the list of expectations we have for you as a player. And here's how we're going to go about improving you to get to that point. That's why they made the change. And that's why things began to settle down in a hurry. Because Rick Tockett, he takes no BS from no one. No, and I think that's very clear that something like that had to happen. Now, the, the thing I kind of look at here, too, and even though Brock has come out and said, I want to stay here, and the organization can come out and say, you know, all the right things about him, I don't know that's a promise from organization. Like, I, I know the team has said all the right things, but I bet you, Frank, that outside of, you know, Miller, I mean, we talked about Miller already, but, you know, forget about Hughes, forget about Patterson, those guys aren't going anywhere, it's not, neither is Demko, but... I, I think they'll still be active, try to move Besser, try to move Garland, try to move Bavillier yes. and these guys. I think as much as what they're saying today, I don't think they're going to stop trying to move these guys off the roster. So, so Brock can say what he wants. It doesn't mean he'll be here next year. I don't even think they care who they are. And like that's not to demean the players at all. It's just that it's an auction. This is an auction. It's a silent bidding auction. We just don't know the prices. We don't know what the reserve list price is to get these players out of town. And, and they're going to take whatever they have on the back end of whenever the you know gavel hits of of trying to figure out this roster and then add pieces around that based on you know what they're able to get in return they have to create cap flexibility and they're open to anything so there are no promises made to Brock Besser there are no promises made to anyone outside of those really select few guys that you can count on three fingers and that's it whatever happens after that is all good. At least that's, I think that's how the Vancouver Canucks are, are viewing it. And in some ways, uh, you know, someone listening to that might say, Oh, well that that's a really weird way to look at players. Like that. It's also maybe a really healthy way in the sense that you don't get overly attached. There's, you got to remove the emotion from it when thinking about how you're building this team out next. And you have to capitalize on the value that you have available to you in that exact moment in time. Brock Besser, you know, he probably helped himself, a little, probably helped the Canucks a little bit in saying that, that there's no real, you know, gun to anyone's head to get him out of there this summer. That if he ends up staying, that it's not the worst thing in the world. I still think there's a huge part of him and and his group that's sitting here saying we'd love to see a change of scenery and see what it looks like somewhere else the grass isn't always greener but you you know you may have an opportunity to get back or or get to a level that you haven't been at for a few years and all that said you know for the money not really all that far off from where he should be contract wise so it's not totally out of the out of whack to the point where you're underwater on the contract uh, final thing on the Canucks here. Uh, one thing that Alvin also stressed was the unlikelihood of big changes on the blue line. We know OEL's coming back. We know he can't get traded. He, he said all the right things about Tyler Myers. Is that something that you think can st there will be a market for come this offseason? The bonus gets paid. Like, Is that something they can do? Or are they in a spot now where they're forced to come back with all these big contracts on the back end? Uh, no, there's value there, I think, for sure. And it's... I, I'd have to look and, and do some digging on the exact date that his, his signing bonus is paid. But it's that's supposed to be September first. That's where it's supposed to be. You're told September first? Okay, well then yeah. maybe that's one of those deals that if, if they're, you know, really wanting to do it, waits until tra you know, training camp or before that opens to make it happen. I also wouldn't be surprised to see him back because 
his value is only going to continue to grow as the season goes along. Yeah, there's going to be some suitors based on that signing bonus payment, five million bucks out of the six remaining, uh, to get him, you know, early on in the season. But if you're if you're truly focused on making the playoffs next year, which it seems like that's their goal, then you you should probably keep him and see what you can do to get in. And if you if you don't, if you're falling short again, he's going to be one of the most sought after trade deadline commodities next next spring. Frank Saravalli, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. So um, over in Calgary, changes afoot. Uh, Don Maloney in as president of Hockey Ops, and Brad Treliving is out. Um, what happened here with Brad Treliving? Was it um, he just felt a, a change of scenery was needed? Did Calgary not want to bring him back? What, what's your read? I I don't know the proper way to really describe it without really putting a bunch of exclamation points on it that sounds dramatic, but really isn't like it, it kind of came down to my understanding that this is, it was more or less a, a it's not a power struggle. Like that's the, that's the exact phrase I didn't want to use, but I think there was a pretty clear and definitive statement from Brad tree living to flames ownership saying that he felt like a change was necessary at the, at the coaching level and at the head coaching position that with the two-year extension that Daryl Sutter had I think that was a real pain point for ownership saying like you you signed him to this contract extension so part of this is on you if you didn't want that to happen why did it end up happening before the season started uh last year the Flames had made multiple offers to Brad Tree Living to stay um this ultimately I think ends up being his decision to go based on the fact that Daryl Sutter remains and that it's kind of as cut and dry as that. Now, I think the real big question is there's two of them. One, who goes in to replace him? You've got Don Maloney as president of hockey ops. Um, you know, I, I think the smart money would be on Craig Conroy, their assistant GM to be promoted, but it sounds like they're going to do a search I'm surprised a little bit that Craig Conroy wasn't promoted to that position already uh, right out of the gate today once Don Maloney was. Um, so that kind of opens the door up for some some change. Um, and Craig Conroy does have a good relationship with Daryl Sutter going back you know, a number of years to the point where he played for him. But I think um, the, the, the second question is related to that is if Daryl Sutter is staying, which... They didn't, Don Maloney didn't totally say that that's the case today in his press conference. He he also left the door open for change, saying they're still evaluating it. Uh, but if he was going to be going, to me, like Brad Tree Living would have been staying, is my understanding. So that wasn't the case. Uh, so my understanding is he's back. And if that's the case, then which players are gone? Because I think there's a whole section or subsection of players on the the flames roster that had more or less expressed in exit interviews we're not interested in playing here anymore if if the coach is back and because of that how turbulent is this offseason for the calgary flames and and what does this team look like you know when they hit the ice in october because it could be vastly different uh it you know they could also force the players hands and say you've got a contract and live up to it we know we're not moving you so it's a really interesting inflection point for the calgary flames mm -hmm. well you know what what i keep thinking about and it doesn't get talked about enough because as much as calgary is a canadian market and it can get hot there it's not a massive market right and one of the things that I think people don't understand is that's not an easy ownership to work under. And I guess you can say that about every ownership group, but they are involved. The owner right? lives and, in Switzerland. Yeah, but he does, right? But they're very involved with what you're allowed to do, what you can't do. And I also know in that market, you know, they're, they're on, they know what everybody says and, you know, they, they like to control the message as well. Like, I, I think that organization isn't an easy organization to work for either. It's, I don't think it's an easy, easy organization to play for. Mm -hmm. um they they drive a, a hard line in the sand so it, it it's you know everything's accounted for uh there's no wasteful spending um they're like 
they give the players what they need and, and basically little else. It's a no frills type situation. And you heard the players talk about sort of their disdain for the saddle dome and how it's mm-hmm. really, it's not an NHL quality venue. It's like the saddle dome and mullet arena are the two on the list that don't meet NHL standards and two for two very different reasons. It, it's a straight up trip back to 1986 whenever you're in there. And so that's part of it. Um, and it's, this is a really tough spot for the flames and their players to be in. And, and obviously you, you sense that from Brad tree living as well. And I think everyone's curious too, where does Brad tree living go next? Do you think, uh, Brad tree living will have not his pick of what opportunity becomes available, but do you think he's held in that high of an esteem around the league? Yes, I do, and I think he will have multiple options available to himself this offseason. Um, on to, to Pittsburgh quickly before we let you go here, Frank. Um, you know, we're, we're here in uh, Fenway Sports Group, going to be more analytically inclined, and that's sort of expected if you watch what they do with Liverpool and, and of course, with the Boston Red Sox. Um, but what does that mean in hockey terms? Are we going to see a bit of a different name end up as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins? I I still think no. I, I think we're going to see someone that has some experience. Not to say that they won't fill out the staff with some, uh, you know, quote-unquote outside-the-box people below whoever that next GM is. And by the way, do they decide to stick with the two-person front office, the two-headed monster of President Hockey Ops and uh, GM? I would think that they're probably leaning towards just one person. Um, but that's not decided yet. And yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. Like look at who runs the Boston Red Sox in Heim Bloom. Uh, look at who used to run the Red Sox in Theo Epstein. Uh, they have a pretty unique way of attacking their business that Ron Hackstall was just never their guy. He, he, they inherited him. Uh, he made enough damaging moves behind the scenes, uh, and was really not a collaborator to um to continue on in the post and that was that did him in just as much as the poor trade deadline and and the sort of lines that he drew in the sand about how he was building the team on top of some really damaging contracts um so i do think they're going to try and think about it differently i think they're going to cast a wide net but i think at the end of the day i'd be surprised if you don't see a name that's in that highest ranking position as someone that you recognize right off the hop. Uh, I got one more here for you, Frank, and this has to do with Peter LaViolette. And I'm kind of wondering where he falls in. And I know the point's been made by Elliot and others that uh, he's the guy that probably wants to go somewhere where he can make an immediate bump. And, you know, he's had success Mm -hmm. doing that. Where do you see him landing? And could Ottawa be an interesting spot for him? Um, I... It's a good question because then I also, you know, I wonder about whatever happens next in a place like Toronto. Like, mm-hmm. is Peter Laviolette interested as, you know, a sort of proud American? Would he be interested in working in Canada? Um, he hasn't done that yet. He is a, I think he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's taken three different teams to the Stanley Cup final. Um, he's won a cup, of course, in 2006 with Carolina. And is one of the winningest American-born coaches of all time, and continues to to climb those ranks. He's, I think, second only to John Tortorella. Um, his having spent a lot of time around Peter Laviolette to start my career, he's someone that I think wears on you, mm-hmm. um, and certainly has a shelf life. Ottawa would be interesting. Uh, I think Toronto, depending on what happens in their playoff run with Sheldon Keefe, would be interesting. Um, and then I, I wonder too, like, um, you know, what about one of these other teams that might win the draft lottery? Like what Mm -hmm. happens in Columbus? Right. I I think Columbus and Anaheim would be really wise to wait until after May 8th to make a decision on their coach because they might open themselves up and, you know, they might open the door up to a whole different, you know, breadth of candidates that that might be interested in the job that all of a sudden weren't two days earlier based on the way the ping pongs fall. Frank, uh, enjoy some of these playoff games tonight. Thanks for this. David Pasternak already on the board. That's it. Uh, Thanks for this. See you guys.
Uh, there is Frank Saravalli. That's right, David Posternock. First goal of the postseason for him. They're up one nothing on the Florida Panthers uh, in a goal uh, in a series that is being called by uh, two of the Vancouver favorites. Sat John Shorthouse yeah. and John Garrett. Cheech and Shorty calling the Bruins series. Like I said on Twitter, it's like watching a stranger drive your car. <laughs> and Sebastian Ajo with the uh, marker for the Hurricanes. They lead the Islanders one nothing as well. We'll keep you updated on the playoffs, but also get back in on your Vancouver Canucks. Some of our takeaways on what Patrick Alvin had to say today. That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Continuing on here, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Spend a lot of the first hour talking to Patrick Alvin, Going through some of what he said with the main media and then having him on exclusively. If you missed that part of the show, you can find it available on podcast to get it in full. And uh, we now have some time after speaking with Frank Saravalli to give some of our takeaways on what Patrick Alvin had to say, Sat. And reality is Patrick is planning on not telling us much going into the offseason. Yeah, and part of it could be, I mean, hey, being extra cagey, be careful. And I think it's been pretty evident that we've we've turned, we've used quotes they've used they've said before, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say against them, but maybe against them to some degree. But like, hey, you guys mentioned your priority was adding more cap space or creating more cap space, but you know, you kept like adding to the books, like what gives type of deal. So they've kind of gone away from saying some of those things as things they they truly want to accomplish and there was a lot of you know relying on talk it the coach bump being real and they believe that that's going to make a big difference and i think that was saying a lot of the right things i just don't buy half of it <laughs> or most of it to be honest so okay that that's kind of the big thing here is they think or the sense is the internal improvement is going to carry this team a long way with better coaching, they're going to be in a better position next year. You know, he said, uh, really, we're five, six games away, points-wise, from being a playoff team. That was one of the quotes I'm sure a lot of people are going to cling to from today's availability. And when he furthers it on with us, it's great guys in Abbotsford. We've got some players here. We've added some young players on defense that we're excited about. But as much as you know, that's... I guess towing the company line or not giving us too much to really speculate on how much can we really believe in this team being that much better without some kind of significant change or significant addition. I mean, outside of adding a third line center, which is sort of the only thing they've kind of committed to as to what they want, what they need to add. doesn't seem like they have given us much on where they'd like to add to this roster. No, and I think it's because if you look at the back end, right, how do you add or change the back end without moving money out? Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of the issue here, right? Because you can sit here and say, yeah, we want to improve the defense. That's a priority. But if you can't clear the cap space, then how are you going to be able to make that happen, right? How can we even think about adding Vladislav Gavrikov if we've already committed close to $30 million on the defense we have? And honestly, they may not be able to create enough cap space to be able to do those things. Because one of the things he mentioned was we have to make hockey deals. That's what we have to look at making here, which means it's not just making deals to clear space. It's making a trade to find something else that you need. Case in point, key move, Carter Garland or Brock Besser or Bavillier, take your pick for a third line center type. Can you move Tyler Myers for a lefty defenseman or another defenseman who maybe makes a little bit less money but has a little bit of term but is good defensively or can play on your PK, for instance, do you move him for somebody else, right? And here's an example, and I'm not saying make this trade because actually I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little cool on the player to begin with. Add another Pedersen, Marcus Pedersen with the, with the um, 
Pittsburgh Penguins, for instance, makes right, 4.3 right. on the cap this year and next season. So, so two years left, but he's a lefty, good on the PK, decent defensively. Does he fit stylistically better than Tyler Myers? You save a little bit of cap space, you fit a different need. And that's just an example, completely hypothetical. But is that something they're going to have to do instead of making trade, making uh, free agent signings? Because for you to make free agent signings, you have to get money off your books cleanly. And it's significant money they have to get off their books here, right, Dan? I mean, if you dip into LTIR, sure, you can sign there, you can fill out your roster, but you don't have any space to make any real additions. So how are you making additions without moving salary out? So is that going to be a more realistic avenue of deals? It has to be. And when he essentially said we're not planning on adding through free agency right now because of our cap situation, he sort of tells you that flat out. You know, can't... Can we expect them to trade? Like, if this is even out there, which I have my doubts, can you expect them to trade for Brock, like Brock Besser, for a second round pick? You know, um, is that is that something that is a possibility? And if they could go out there and get that, maybe they do it, and then hey, you now you've opened up a little bit of cap space to maybe go out and do something else, and you potentially have a second round pick to play with to offer in trade, right? Because they don't look at moves in isolation they think of okay what can we do with this if we get this then we can go and do that and it's the Dennis Rodman meme right you're moving a bunch of pieces all around all over the place and that's kind of what this offseason sort of looks like for the Canucks because of how they've painted themselves into this corner after making the Philip Peronic trade well and the Philip Peronic trade was the big move almost right like so that was the big offseason move Essentially, they got ahead of it, and maybe they weren't expecting it to happen. Some of the reporting's been that, you know, um, it was that Red Wings kind of knew from before that Vancouver, or at least Alvin Rutherford, had interest in Heronic, and it kind of came to be a little bit. I've heard before that he's a guy they kept an eye on, they're waiting for him or somebody else to come open, and when they did, they were going to pounce. So it all kind of depends on how you view it all kind of unfolding, but it was very clear all along. They mentioned they wanted to improve the blue line. They couldn't make the deals they wanted to do to find that blue chip young defenseman prospect in a trade. Remember the JT stuff, Brayden Schneider, that type of player never came to fruition. Even with Bo Horvat, when they were trying to make trades and, you know, asking for, for assets, it was clear they weren't getting that type of young defenseman back in return. So they took the best deal possible, which was a good draft pick. And it was, getting Bavilia and Aturatu, they were able to flip that pick for the move they were looking to make. And it just so happened that trade happened at the deadline instead of coming in the offseason because mm-hmm. the player became available to them. And had they not made that trade, now, you know, I know people are talking about draft position, but let's put that aside for a second. We're talking about the trade. If they don't make that trade, and we're sitting here and talking about the offseason, I think we're, we'd be hearing a different tune in terms of how big a priority it would be to find at least one more defenseman. Now they made that impact guy, at least they feel like they made the impact guy, it's not quite as pressing. And I still think, Dan, I'm with you, I think they need to make a couple additions still, but the question is, are you going to be able to do that in this single offseason? It just feels like betting on Oliver ekman Larson to bounce back, like it's not a high probability wager. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's okay. being valued at plus money at playnow.com. You know? I, mean, I, I don't disagree. So, okay, let's just for a moment. O, OEL himself really attributed his struggles to the broken foot he had at the World, June, at the World Championship last yeah. year. It was in, in late May. He got hurt, had to spend a lot of the offseason just getting healthy, didn't get to skate. And it was very notable. We talked about his mobility being a big issue this season, right? Mm-hmm. Does that If that mobility comes back, can he get back to what he was last year? Because and, and here's my question about that. The one thing to keep in mind about coming back last year. Last year, he still got power play two time. He still filled in for Hughes on power play one when need be. That's probably not going to be something that's going to happen with Philip Aronik on the on the blue line, on the back end. Yeah. So, number one, can he bounce back? And number two, does he, is he going to be able to play the role he needs to play to be able to bounce back and be the player he was at least in his first year in Vancouver? It's... Uh... Like, if you're looking at the list of why it could happen, um, do you look at, well, the environment's changed, coaching is better, there's more structure, it helped virtually everyone else on the roster once they made the change, why wouldn't it help a player like Oliver ekman Larson? They've now added Philip Peronik, who could potentially line up as OEL's partner next season, 
why wouldn't that help Oliver Ekman Larson have more success rather than having to play next to Tyler Myers, who is chaos even on the best of nights, right? Yeah. So it's like I, I'm not saying I truly believe it, but you know, if you're making the list of why it could work to have OEL bounce back to a player that can at least bring you fringe top four value, that's those are the arguments you're making for it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's that's pretty much it, right? And even that is not convincing. So, and how much of it is do what you can to get through another year or two? Yeah, and, and that, it kind of feels like triage on the back end, right? It's kind of like, hey, we're just gonna have to get by doing what we have to do to survive and get through this rush here. That's what yeah. we kind of have to do here, and. If well, you're not buying him out, because the buyout has to come from the owner. But one thing yeah. he did mention, and as much as we sit here and talk about ownership, he did also mention that there is a cap charge coming on the other end of it. Like if you do, do buy at OEL, it solves your cap issues largely for one year, but then next year is 2.2, and then the next two years is over $4 million. And like he mentioned, the hope isn't for this team to be the, the, the complete version next year. It's about two, three years and keep building, keep adding. And how are you going to be able to do that if you have that much dead money on the books? Now, you can. It becomes more difficult. But it kind of comes down to how much do you prioritize this year and next year? And how much do you prioritize your long-term cap picture and maintaining your window as long as possible? Well, what he said on the buyouts sort of gives you a window into their timeline almost. Like, do They want to be a playoff team next year. Yes. Do they consider themselves a cup contender next year? Mm. No. But what he did say when he came to the buyouts, as you alluded to, Sat, like, we don't want this cap charge when we think we'll be in our window to truly contend. And we don't want that penalty for when we believe we'll truly be in an area to contend. Now, the argument, at least with OEL, that I would make is, well, (laughs) you know, (laughs) this is always going to be a bit of an issue somewhere down the line for you, no matter what, and how you deal with it is going to, like, you're going to have to answer that question at some point in the next couple of years. But it's it's almost as, well, it is as you've said it. You've got to make baby steps. And the first one is just getting to the playoffs and then continue to build from there. And when... So, on the back end, too, right? Like, they did add Philip Hironik, and they also added Ethan Bear. Yeah. So, if we go back to what they mentioned last year, heading into the season, was we still have to rebuild the blue line. And they said, hey, we're going to try to do stuff over the season, but it may take a year. How many defensemen do you think they wanted to change? Like, I'm sure you want to keep changing, right? But, like, in terms of additions, so they wanted to really, they focused in on the right side. And they got Hironik done, and they got Ethan Bear done. Does that tell you that maybe the big work on the back end has been done for now, at the very least, then? Like, as much as, yeah, like we just talked about it. Yeah. You got to see what happens. You try to make some deals or whatever. But have they kind of made their two moves that they thought were significant enough, at the very least? So it's not like they're coming back with the same blue line as last year. Like, they have revamped the right side. It, uh, I believe they think that their work is mostly done. Like, do they try to make a, a small bet on somebody? You know, I think you have to then. Like, yeah, I think you have like they don't have a lefty penalty killing defenseman right now, but and even guys like Christian Willand, and that that's not what he is. But they're they're taking a bet somewhere, right? Maybe something more than a Danny DeKaiser type of bet, yeah. but they're making a bet somewhere, right? Like the other player they added was Travis Dermott, and that obviously went out the window because of the injury that he suffered in training camp this year and hasn't been able to fully recover from. That's a bit of an interesting storyline to follow through the course of the offseason. But even he, does he really profile as a guy that can really help you on the penalty kill? I'm not sure that he does. So I don't know where they go to add that player because it is a glaring need for me. As much as they keep talking about third-line center, third-line center, third-line center, they've got to find a way to add a left-shot D that can help them kill penalties. Yeah. Or even a right shot D that can kill penalties. Like yeah. I, I think it takes some of that pressure away because Heronic is like he excelled on the PK this year. Well, that's year, Myers he, until further notice. Yeah, but I think yeah, hundred percent. But I think Heronic could be your number one penalty killer on the right side. Right. Right. And I think the way he played, like I think Heronic's not going to get the, the power play responsibility because he's not going to be on power play one most likely. But he's probably going to get the big responsibility on the PK. And considering how good he was with Detroit this past year on the PK. 
that might not be a bad bet to make. So you feel like at least on the right side, that solves your issue, right? That he's your number one pair. Myers, if he comes back, second. And all of a sudden, Myers isn't your go-to penalty killer on the right side. Mm -hmm. He's the second guy over the boards, maybe to the point that, you know, Alvin was trying to make about him and OEL. A more suitable role, does it make them more successful? At least you're not asking as much from them, and maybe they can provide better you know, production or at least value by playing some lesser roles. And then Ethan Bear can be your third guy. So I think on the on the PK stuff on the right side, you can still use a righty, but I can see if you bring Myers back, how you can make it work. But if you bring OEL back, and Hughes can't be your top left guy on the PK, and can't be your top left guy on the power play, I mean, he can't be playing 28 minutes a game, right? It's yeah. going to come down a little bit. Like, who's, is OEL your first guy over the boards for your PK? He can't be that guy. Well, they've had basically the worst penalty kill in the league since he's been that guy <laughs> for them, right? He replaced Alex Edler in that role, and the Canucks um, have not... Now, not to put it solely on his shoulders, because it's obviously more than that, but it's part of it. And yeah. I think there is... There's definitely a need there, and I don't know how they fix it. As uh, Abu says on Twitter... Um, they can't make no more major ads happen until Myers and or OEL are gone. That's $14 million on top of Hughes and Hironic. And, yeah. you know, Hironic's going to need a new deal uh, in the not-so-distant future, so that has to factor into it as well. And, uh, you know, one of the big bets that they're making here is just sheerly on development, Sat. Yeah. Whether that's Akito Hirose or Jack Rathbone or... And some of the other players that they name checked, I think they name checked almost everybody in the organization today. But yeah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> we didn't hear much of Travis Dermott, but yeah. you're right. I mean, we heard it pretty much about even Guillaume Brisebois was mentioned, even McWard was mentioned. So it, it, yeah, and that's kind of what they did at Pittsburgh, to be honest with you. Like they found it is they found guys on the cheap that were just able to play minutes, fill roles for them in low low leverage spots on the back end, and they relied a ton on the guys at the higher end of their of their lineup. And that's fine in terms of filling some specific roles here and there, right? But the only thing I kind of wonder about is, can you bank on one of those guys to be a number one PKer? Yeah. But if you're looking at, okay, so it's clear what the, it, they also mentioned what they needed from their third line center. They needed somebody that can take away some responsibility defensively and the face off from your top two guys in Miller and Pedersen, right? Which means you need somebody to be your number one PKer. So is it easier for you to find a lefty defenseman, a veteran or whoever, or make a hockey deal like we mentioned, who's not very good offensively, doesn't do much, but it's good on the PK and can give you a little something. The second one is, can you find a third line center that can do those things? You're not looking for a guy who's excellent or this, you know, you, you know, Anthony Sorelli type. You want to get that guy long-term, but you're probably not going to find him in trade. Yeah. But if you get those moves, like are those two moves to address specific needs enough to stabilize a roster? Because sometimes when you look at a team having a lot of success, it's not just about finding more talented guys. And I agree, long-term, they still need a, a star player next to JT to be a contender. It's one thing to make the playoffs, another to be a contender. They still need more to be that type of a team. But how much easier does it become to be a cohesive hockey team if you address two needs like that on your squad and everything else kind of falls into place where it should. Well, they've got enough players on the wing, right? Like we know that <laughs> they still need to move money out on the wing, but even if they do, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to fill those roles on the cheap than it would be to fill the third line center spot or a credible top four defenseman. Plus they have guys on the come up. They have Nils Hoaglander. They have Vasily Pod Colson. They have guys that can play wing type roles for this team, it's the third line center spot that becomes really interesting for the offseason because mm -hmm. I think that ultimately is where the hockey trade maybe comes from, Sat. I, I don't know. You know, is like Ryan Johansson's not an $8 million player, but if you were to maybe get Nashville to hold a little bit on that and his number is similar to that of Brock Besser, all of a sudden is there something interesting there because they both expire at the same time, at least those two contracts do. Uh, that was just a, a first name that sort of came to my head type of thing. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of creative hockey trade you might have to make in order to fill that third-line center spot in the short term. It might have to be, you know, and it, it was also clear 
listening to him talk about Garland. He said some positive things about him, but essentially also said he had a bad first year and he needs a role and they, you know, like, but he, he didn't sound too glowing on Garland in general. And it also comes down to the whole question we had, like, what is his ultimate role? And what's, what is the, and how efficient is it to have your best player on your third line be a winger mm. who features on your second power play unit and doesn't play on the peak? They, they right? don't see like, where Garland fits on this team set. They don't. It's clear. It's very clear, right? Even for, from looking how they use them and looking at how they talk about him. Like, to me, he's the prime candidate to get yeah. moved. And he played well enough and he's a good enough player that I can see it working somewhere else for him, of course. And you may not be able to move all the money out, but can you get that third line center back in return? And yeah. it might be a trade where you see it and you're like, that's all the Canucks got for Connor Garland. I'd rather have Garland. And you're not wrong in terms of saying saying that as far as the player's talent goes. Garland, if he gets traded for a player, is going to be the best player in the trade. I don't disagree with that. But if you don't use the player, if he doesn't fit your team, it doesn't matter. And I'd rather have a guy that at least fits a role and can do something on your third line as a center instead of having a guy who's on the wing there but not playing on your PK. Like... Can you get a guy making $3 million for a year or two that can do the same thing, right? Yeah. Or even less than that, perhaps? That would be ideal. But if you make that deal, it's not going to be because you're getting a better player in return. It's simply because this guy doesn't fit here, and he's a good hockey player, but you have to take a lesser player back in return that can at least do something you're looking for. Well, and if you're making a bet, would it not make more sense to bet on Brock Besser being able to bounce back and filling a top-six role than Connor Garland? Because Garland, I think, you know, we kind of know what he is. Yeah. Whereas Besser, there seems to be an agreement among everybody, including Besser himself at times, that he can be a better player. Yeah. And he can fill more credibly top six minutes next to JT Miller than we've seen from Connor Garland. Stylistically, he can do more things that this team wants. And just also stylistically he fits better next to uh, yeah. JT Miller. And I think the issue is is also players and this is this is what what I'm annoyed by in general when it comes to team building and I, and I have this annoyance with my favorite soccer team Chelsea. They have a lot of great soccer players, but they have guys for different managers and different teams and a bloated team that does, makes no sense. It's like these guys are really good but they don't make any sense together and you can't play these guys together. If you yeah. had a two different rosters it would make a lot of sense to put this guy on the other team and all of a sudden you have a decent hockey team, but if Garland can't play with JT long term, because Garland needs a puck on a stick too much, JT is primarily or primarily a playmaker who likes to have the puck on a stick. They both like to be along the boards. If you have Garland and JT together, you're taking away from JT's best traits because Garland needs the puck on a stick more. Yeah. Right. Which means they can't be a fit. Same thing kind of goes for Pedersen. You don't want him to touch the puck too much because you got Pedersen on that line. You need to keep it moving. Which means he needs to be the driver or at least be on a team with a center who's a shoot-first center who doesn't need the puck on his stick a lot. Which actually, I in some ways, looked at Bo Horvat and you wonder, could that have worked to some degrees, right? And you saw Bo Horvat and Garland have some success together. I think mm -hmm. those were some things you could see from those guys. If Bo was here instead of JT, for instance, it could make sense to move Besser and keep Garland to some degree, right? It, stylistically, it would make more sense in, in terms of the fit. I just don't know how he fits into your top six. And if he doesn't fit, it doesn't matter. And I, and I agree. Like, I think right now Garland's a more effective hockey player and a, and a more valuable hockey player than Brock Besser. But if he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit. Yeah. And, th and this, is, this is frustrating because I can see people looking at it and saying, this guy's a decent hockey player, but what's the issue here? And this goes back to how important it is when you're building a team to understand who you have, who works well together, and not adding a guy and paying him $5 million who can't fit with your top six players. Um. Another takeaway is the development of certain players, and when it comes to the wing, I mean, Patrick, it, it seemed like he spent at least five minutes through the course of the day just speaking about Nils Hoaglander and how important it was for him to go to Abbotsford and how impressed they've been by the progress he's made while with the Abbotsford Canucks and potentially getting playoff games. Well, he will get playoff games here with Abbotsford, but it seems like they're really... They're back in on Nils Hoaglander. I don't know if they were ever out, but they're in on Hoaglander right now. Just when you thought you're out, it <laughs> pulled you back in. But I mean, I think again, like a lot of it is what are you supposed to say? Yeah. You know, and I think I think they do like Hoaglander. He's a talented hockey player. I mean, Nils' biggest issue has just been just maturing on the ice, getting opportunity and just learning some things that he has to do. But he's a very effective hockey player. But I just I didn't expect him to say anything different. Because mm -hmm. 
But stylistically, he said he fits the way we want to play. And we kind of talked about that before and said, this is a guy who who's, who works hard. He battles hard. His puck pursuit is one of his best traits. That's something Carlton spoke about. It's his consistency and his ability to make smart decisions on the ice with the puck at times, which he has to improve, right? Those are the details which he has to improve. But when he plays like that dog-on-a-bone mentality type of game, it could fit in with what talk is looking for. They want him to play a PDG-type role. Yeah. But a bet, I like, can't believe you waited but, this long to bring up PDG, by the way. <laughs> He's so good, they didn't want to lose him on waivers. That's why uh, he is uh, staying up with the Canucks and not going down to Abbotsford. Also, uh, auguri to uh, the Di Giuseppes and the, the newest yeah. member of their family. But um, well, I, l- Let me say something here first. Yeah. And, like, you didn't get a chance to mention this, but we got together at the rink on Saturday, and yeah. you're like, yeah, I, I kind of heard that PDG's not going on waivers. I think he's earned a spot here. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> And today, so you had the scoop before anybody else did. So just FYI, yeah. Uh, the the Italians know, you know. It's the just... Italians know. The Italian the word gets around the Italian community in a hurry. <laughs> the Italians just know. Um, but it, you know what? It, PDG did play that well. And but the point on Hoaglander is, he might have he could play a PDG type role because of that dog on a bone, the tenacity, the puck pursuit that he can play with, be that F one hard four checker, win some pucks down low, that kind of guy, but also has more skill to go along with it to potentially play higher up the lineup and have success offensively in a role higher up the lineup as well. So that's, uh, there's the potential there. Is it going to happen? That's another story, but, uh, shouts to Phil DiGiuseppe, man. Uh, that good over the course of the end of the season that he uh, won a spot on the big league club. Yeah, great for him, man. Honestly, like yeah. it's and organizationally, to your point about this is a team that uh, in the past the Pittsburgh Penguins not only developed players but found guys, gave them opportunities, emboldened them, you know, empowered them, and and everything. And it, there was a sense in that organization that if you come and do the right things, you will be rewarded, you will get opportunity. And I think one of the things that has happened this year internally is. You so you see that with PDG. You saw it with Christian Wolanin as well. And these guys got contracts. Sheldon Drys came up, played all year, and played on the third line and everything. Niels Olmont goes up, comes down, and and comes back up again and, and plays well. So I think in terms of setting that culture and trying to create an environment where players are developing, get an opportunity to do the right things, they've come through with that, and we'll see if that starts paying more dividends long term. It goes back to what we talked about with Ethan Bear. Yeah. Sat on uh, on Saturday, and if you haven't heard the interview, uh, really suggest you go back and listen to our exclusive conversations with Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear from Saturday's edition, the special edition of Canuck Central. It's on the podcast feed. But Bear, you know, talked about the lack of direction within the organization when he got here from Carolina, and I think a lot of the reason you started to see some success, not just for the team but within individual players showing growth in their individual games is they were given specific direction on what they wanted or what what they wanted from those players what their expectations were were from those players and what role they expected those players to fill and all of a sudden you can all start to work towards that goal and look we've heard it from enough guys at this point sat that um there was a lack of direction until the coaching change was made within the organization. But um, that's now in the rear view. So. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central.